I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. years ago there was a man named John. Or was it 80 years ago? Or was it today? Even John's not sure. All he really knows is that while so many things change, there are also so many things that stay the same. Traveling through the web of time with his old friend Ed in their ever-changing barbershop, John makes a point to always grab the local newspaper. The time capsules that let him and Ed know exactly where, and more importantly, when they are. No matter what part of time they land in, it seems John and Ed are known by every local they encounter, so it's best they stay up on the times. Today we find John returning to the shop with a copy of the Alexandria Gazette. The date is July 28, 1914, and they are in a place called Alexandria, Virginia. It's been one month since the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie by the Black Hand. A chain of events that had been set in motion spiraled into something the world wasn't quite ready for and that would literally change the landscape of an entire country forever. One day after the assassination, the 29th of June, Austria-Hungary requested an alliance with Germany to deal with Serbia. One week later, on the 25th of July, a quote-unquote blank check was offered to Austria-Hungary by Germany stating that they were indeed allies. There's a bit more fighting here and there, but nothing had officially been declared anything. Then on the 23rd of July, Austria-Hungary threatens war against Serbia if they don't comply with Austria-Hungary's list of demands within the next 48 hours. According to the terms of the ultimatum, the Serbian government would have to accept an Austro-Hungarian inquiry into the assassination of the Archduke, notwithstanding its claim that it was already conducting its own internal investigation. Serbia was also to suppress all anti-Austrian propaganda and to take steps to root out and eliminate terrorist organizations. In other words, the Black Hand, who was believed to have aided and abetted the Archduke's killer. Serbia at once appealed to Russia, whose Council of Ministers met on July 24th to determine a course of action. At that point, the Russian foreign minister voiced his belief that Germany was using the crisis over the Archduke's death as a pretext for starting a preventative war to defend its interests in the region, disregarding Austro-German beliefs that Russia would back down in the case of such conflict. But Russia wasn't backing down from anything, and the Council agreed to order four military districts to prepare for mobilization. While the world waited for Serbia's answer, 
Germany tried to control the effects of Austria-Hungary's demand, but none of the great powers were persuaded to see Austria-Hungary, with its relatively weak military, as acting alone. In other words, everyone knew Germany was playing a much larger role in the affair than they wanted to let on. By 1914, the battle lines had been drawn in Europe. If Germany stood with Austria-Hungary against Serbia, then they also stood against Russia. Guess they didn't realize or didn't care that Russia's allies, France and Britain, would be forced to step in and fight as well. Nevertheless, on July 28th, one month after the assassination, Austria-Hungary went ahead and officially declared war on Serbia. And that really got the ball rolling. And now we too are falling to the Arctic. Well, Ed, uh, we're still here in Alexandria. No big shock there, buddy. We've been here for a whole month. All right, let's see here. It's Tuesday, July 28th, 1914. Oh, yeah? Think they know what's happening over there in Austria Hungary today? Well, let's see here. I'm thinking they might not just yet. Austrian troops take Belgrade. Serbians make no attempt to defend the capital, but march out. Prospects for peace. England asks Vienna to submit grievances to Conference of European Powers. Washington, July 28th. Word reaches the Austrian embassy in Paris that two army corps of Austrian troops crossed the Danube into Serbian territory last night and today occupied Belgrade, meeting with no resistance. Unofficial reports in Berlin, London, and Paris declare a detachment of Austrians invaded Serbia at Mitrovic, 50 miles northwest of Belgrade. The Serbians, it is stated, withdrew before the advance of the Austrians. Unconfirmed reports declared that it was announced in Vienna that hostilities were opened at daybreak today. Although acts of war between Austria and Serbia have occurred, powerful influences are at work in Europe to prevent further hostilities. They have at least gained a day, and hope of success has consequently grown. Great Britain and Russia are taking the leadership in the peace plans. The Tsar's government, warning Austria that she must not invade Serbia, is pressing on that empire a diplomatic formula under which Serbia would give assurance to Austria that it would not violate her national sovereignty and which Austria would be able to accept without appearing to back down. St. Petersburg's belief seems to be that Russia's prompt and unmistakable attitude has brought Austria to her senses, and it's said that Austrian ambassador to St. Petersburg is trying to remove the bad impression caused by the ultimatum, declaring that it was not an ultimatum but only a note verbal. The usual friendly relations between St. Petersburg and Berlin are undisturbed. The military preparations of Russia continue, however, preparations unabated. All news on the continent is being strictly censored and practically nothing concerning the military movements gets through. Great Britain has asked Austria to assent to the mediation of disinterested powers and submit her grievances to a conference. In this, she is backed by France and Italy. Germany has been asked to join in an effort but has declined to interfere with her ally. Great Britain and France are also endeavoring to obtain an agreement to prevent European war in case Austria insists on disciplining Serbia. Late dispatches indicate that neither Austria or Russia or Germany has yet shown a disposition to give guarantees. The official German attitude towards proposed mediation is unhopeful. Germany offers only partial acceptance. She accepts the principle of the mediation between Vienna and St. Petersburg, but not between Vienna and Belgrade. Her effort will be localized to the conflict between Austria and Serbia. 
German official circles insist that no action likely to hamper Austrian plans has the least chance of success, and the next developments depend on Russia. If your heart beats the right, there's a song of gladness in the darkest night. Midland Butter, 35 cents a pound. For years recognized as the best, it comes to Alexandria. Edward Quinn and Sons. Yeah, yeah, get ready, go to Marshall Hall, Tuesday, June 30th. Special features, a baseball game. $10 in gold given to one holding lucky ticket. Free ice to all. The children from Alexandria's children's home will be entertained free. Come along, everybody will have a good time. Boats leave at 10.30 a.m., 2.30 p.m., and 7 p.m., yeah? Yeah, get ready, go! Tickets for adults, 25 cents. I think the Germans know. Well, if they didn't know while this was getting printed, they sure do now. Hey, you remember hearing about that woman they say killed her husband uh, and set a couple of places in Louisa County on fire back in April of this particular year? Uh, yeah, what was her name? Mrs. Hall? Yeah, that's her. Looks like a trial is getting started. Listen to this. Mrs. Hall's trial begins today. Woman charged with killing her youthful husband in dock. Betokens anxiety. Although evidence is purely circumstantial, prosecution confident of conviction. Louisa Courthouse, Virginia, July 28th. The stage is set in Louisa Courthouse for a murder trial that may rival in dramatic intensity the already famous fiasco in Paris, or that may pass along its courts in the tedium of routine. Miss Victor Hall, who stands indicted for the murder of her husband early on the morning of April 15th in their store at Green Spring Station, is ready for the law's procedure against her and is a guest at the home of Miss Martha Gordon, aunt of her principal attorney, R. Lindsay Gordon. It is said that her main betokens and anxiety of spirit that she bravely forbore to show when she was arrested on the night of May 14th, and Mr. Gordon, formal legal advisor, for all of her affairs and her present legal representative is less confident, it is said, in his appearance than when he sought for and gained bail for his client. The Louisa Hotel yesterday was crowded from garret to the parlor floor with visitors, detectives, and witnesses, newspaper representatives, and officers of the court. A larger throng was present in the middle of the town today when the trial started upon its course, and Louisa Courthouse entertained more people this week than the town has ever had in its midst before. Judge George S. Shackelford, who is to preside at the trial, arrived here early morning, 8 o'clock. The court convened two hours later. M.J. Fulton, law firm of Fulton and of Pallarty, who has been engaged by the county authorities to assist Commonwealth Attorney W.C. Bibb in the prosecution, arrived here yesterday afternoon and has been in frequent conferences with Mr. Bibb. Mr. Fulton brought with him two court sonographers who are to relieve each other during the trial and two typists. Attorney Hill Carter, who occupied a prominent part in the famous Beatty trial, in which he appeared with attorney Harry M. Smith, Jr., for the defense has also been engaged to aid the defense and is prepared to come to the scene after the jury shall have been selected and the trial has begun. Commonwealth's attorney Bibb said last night that he thought at least two days would be taken up with selecting the 12 good and true men who are to decide upon the innocence or guilt of an accused woman. Forty venerian men have been summoned, a number, it is hoped, sufficiently large, from which to select a jury. After the jury has been selected, it will be 10 days in which to finish the trial. 
although others believe a shorter time will be occupied in determining whether Miss Hall be innocent or guilty of the murder of her youthful husband. Evidence against Miss Hall is purely circumstantial, but if it be woven into a complex fabric, it will be difficult for her to escape the snares in which those circumstances have beset her path. It will be upon circumstantial evidence alone that the prosecution will rely for a conviction, but circumstantial evidence is now generally regarded as stronger than the testimony of eyewitnesses. Purely circumstantial. And they think they can convict her like that? That's what it said. Must have some pretty convincing circumstances. Guess we'll see. My goodness, Ed. Listen to this. <laughs> Steals wife's leg. Hot Springs, Arkansas, July 28th. To be deserted by her husband after she had followed implicitly his suggestion, which resulted in mortgaging her farm and purchasing a moving picture outfit with a part of the proceeds, was a severe shock to Miss May McGill, wife of Lone E. McGill, but her better half departed with his wife's clothes and her cork leg, too. It was just a little bit more than her strong affection for her husband could stand. McGill was arrested and returned to Hot Springs, from which the city he fled. He claimed to have no intention of deserting his wife, that he merely struck out for a new location and intended writing for her. Miss McGill, who was in the courtroom on crutches, agreed that if her husband returned her cork leg, she would drop the prosecution. <coughs> I could love him if he gave me my leg back, she said. McGill produced the leg, and domestic peace was restored. <laughs> you made that up. No woman's going to take back a man that runs off with her leg. <laughs> oh, Miss McGill will. <laughs> all right, all right, John. Now you know what I want to hear about. Come on. I know it's in there. Go ahead. Read it out. Yeah, yeah, you and your nosy self. All right, let's see here. Social and personals. Interesting notes about people of Alexandria happenings in society. <sighs> Mr. and Miss Charles Keith Carolyn are now in France. Mr. and Miss Howard W. Smith are spending a week in West Virginia. Miss Elizabeth Hampton of Philadelphia is the guest of Miss Jen A. Smith on South Lee Street. Miss Frank M. Hill and family returned last night from Atlantic City, where they have been spending several weeks. The Reverend William J. Morton, rector of Christ Episcopal Church, left today for Spotsylvania County, where he will spend the month of August. During his absence, Sunday morning service will be held by Reverend David Barr of Washington. Miss Ethel Jett and brother Milton are both sick at their home in North Henry Street with typhoid fever. Miss <coughs> Addie Langley, who had been imposed for the past three weeks, is able to be out again. Mr. Stuart Jones and son Charles, who have been visiting in New York and Long Island, have returned home. A marriage license was issued in Washington yesterday to John T. Bollinger and Julia B. Buckley of Alexandria. Mr. John E. Lemire and Miss Blanche L. Chambers of Baltimore eloped to Alexandria on the morning of July 18th and were married. The ceremony was performed by Reverend P. Phillips of St. Paul's Church. Typhoid fever. Man, John, I sure hope this damn shop gets us out of this time soon. Oh, let's hope so, Ed. Don't count on it. There will be a multitude of countries declaring war on each other within the next month. The fighting will be brutal, and many lives will be lost. Will John and Ed stick around, or is it time for them to fall a bit further through time? Guess we'll have to wait and see.
Join me again in a few days when we look in on John and Ed again as they continue falling through the archives. This podcast has been brought to you by Watershed Z Productions, starring Jim Hodges as the narrator, John Teach as John, Corey Andre as Ed, with special guest Mike Allender as advertisers. Music is from 1912 and 1914 and is in the public domain. In order, they are... 1914 Panto Melody by Stanley Kirby with the Reginald Band of Scotsguard. 1914 If Your Heart Keeps Right by Homer Roadheaver. From 1912 Roman in the Gloman by Harry Lauder. And also from 1912 Silly Ass by Jack Charman. Sound design and editing done by Hayden Hodges. The newspaper articles read on the show are actual written accounts from the time period and can be found in the Library of Congress under Chronicling America. If you would like to help support the show, you can by sharing our show with your friends. Follow and leave us a review on iTunes. And check us out on Patreon at The Falling Archivist, where you'll find exclusive content and merchandise. In all honesty, it takes a lot to keep a show going. And we truly appreciate all the help we can get. Always pay attention to where and when you are, or you too may find yourself falling through the archives. Silly ass. <laughs> what a silly ass you must be. Most certainly the lady will have guessed. The question is unnecessary, if I may remark. Do you think I'm going to have you fumbling round her in the dark when we're only just engaged, you silly ass? <laughs> Some amateur theatricals old Bertie once was in. He had to shift the scenes he didn't play. But when the lights were low in the middle of the show, he wandered on the stage, the silly Jane. The heroine mistooking for the villain, and she cried, Lord Puddingcloth, at last we meet, the dear DTS replied, silly ass. <laughs> what a silly ass you must be. The heroine cried, I know you now, alas. You are the father of my child, the fact you can't deny. Say, Bertie, don't be silly, 
I can prove that that's a lie. All I've done is skip the scene, you silly ass. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.